We have been uh, in this series entitled Extreme Makeover, Calvary Edition. And really wanting to, to rethink the way that we, we do life and the way that we do community and, and, uh, and just going over just a complete remodel of the way things look. And, and, and in this, wanting you to take a, a fresh look at a familiar portion of scripture, the Ten Commandments. A couple of weeks ago, we started with understanding and, and, and applying principles of foundation. And, and when we look at Exodus 20, when, when God gave the commandments to Moses and, and prophetically even to us today, God revealed his heart and his plan for mankind. Now, it, it echoes what we see in the creation process. It, 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 it models what we've seen in God's interaction with his creation uh, since those days in Genesis. But we get to Exodus chapter 20, the children of Israel are coming out of bondage. They're going to step into the promised land. But in, in that process, God says, listen, I, I, I want things to be right. I, I want things to be proper. And I want you to understand the directives that I have for you. And he, he crystallizes them in these commandments, in these Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, it's real easy to lose sight of what they're all about and just see them as a rules and regulations, see them as do's and don'ts. And yet they are much more than that. Individually and collectively, they speak to us of the highest value that God has. And the highest value that God has is the value of relationship. God created us as relational beings. He created us as relational beings because he created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. And it's very obvious that God is a relational being. One of the major things we know about God is this, is that God is love. Not just that he's loving, but that God is love. And God as a relational being, he created us as relational beings. It makes sense then that when Satan would try to thwart the plan of God, he would consistently attack in the area of relationship. And so as God lays out his game plan for us, his strategy for us, here's what he says. I want you to be relationally strong. And so in Exodus 20, when he gives the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments that he gives has to do with the vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God. And he does this because it is obvious that every relationship, every relationship is colored by the vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God. When our horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another aren't working, here's what you can be confident of. You can be confident that there is some pressure point in our vertical relationship. When the relationship with God works, everything else falls into place. This is the reason why you'll find woven throughout Scripture, Scriptures like Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Or Proverbs chapter 2, which tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart, don't lean on our understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct, guide, or make our paths straight. And so it makes sense then if our life is going to be properly aligned, if life is going to work, we're going to understand the value of relationship and start with that relationship with, between us and God, that foundational relationship. And, and we, we looked at the fact that God said, you are to have no other gods before me. I, I don't even want them in my presence, right? When, when he says, have no other gods before me, he says, I don't want those gods brought before my face. 
And, and he also says, listen, it's not just about having other gods. It's also in the approach that you take. He says, I, I don't want you to make any graven images. And in your posture towards worship, don't use my name in vain. And so the first three commandments that we see in Exodus chapter 20, they deal with the vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God. We then see this, this bridge commandment which talks about both our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Make sure that you have margin in your life. Make sure that you're operating from a healthy perspective. Make sure that you give pause. And, and, and the Bible doesn't just say to have pause. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That issue of making sure that my relationship with God is right so my relationship with others can be unencumbered. And then he makes a very powerful and important shift. And it's that shift from the vertical relationship to the horizontal relationship. And the, and the next six commandments deal with how we interact with one another. Listen, don't, don't steal from one another. Don't, don't lie about one another. Don't don't engage in unhealthy relationship with one another. Certainly don't, don't kill one another. Honor, prefer one another. Live rightly together. And when it comes to relationship, he rightly starts with the family. Because here's what I have found. I have found this. That when family is right, Everything is right. When family is wrong, we're messed up. Now, here's what I have discovered. When I was a, when I was a kid, I was convinced that your families were perfect. I, I was. Okay? I, I grew up in the days on television where it was Leave it to Beaver, right? Yeah, where it was Father Knows Best. I mean, that, that, was, that, was, what I, that was what I grew up in. Well, that and, and Gilligan's Island, but that's a whole different sermon. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't until really into my teenage years that I started being introduced to, oh... People like Roseanne, right? Our, our, our view, our understanding, our, our concept of, of family started to shift a little bit. But that wasn't the way it was for me. For me, I, I grew up with Wally and the Beeve. I grew up with even, even families where life had presented challenges. I don't know if you know this, but there's a story about a man named Brady. Yeah. He was living with three boys of his own. They were four boys living all together, but they were all alone. <laughs> and somehow this, this blended family, they just, they made life work. So much so that they sang together. My family never sang. <laughs> we screamed. 
And and then live with this understanding that everybody else's family was like Wally and the Beave or, or like the Brady's. And I knew that your life was perfect and my life was messed up. And so whenever we cross paths, I was real careful to hide my junk. I couldn't, couldn't talk about it because, let's be honest, you wouldn't be able to understand. Little did I know that everyone's normal until you get to know them. Right? And you start hearing the stories and you start realizing the issues. You know, I was convinced when I was being brutally beaten as a child that I was the only one in my neighborhood that was going through that. And yet the number of you here that faced abuse in childhood is, it's alarming. The, the number, the number who grew up with a, a single parent situation The number of men who grew up in a fatherless system. It's no surprise. Because if the enemy can destroy a family, he can destroy a people. And that is not God's plan. And, and the church has to push back against it. The people of God have to put, push back against it. And so it seems right that we would focus, we'd focus on family. Moses penned the following in, in Exodus chapter 20. It's the recording of what God gave him on stone tablets. Honor your father and your mother so that it may go well for you, that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would truly be today a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Warren uh, Wiersbe, in his book, Be Wise, he, he, he wrote this. It seems no matter where we look in modern society, we see antagonism, division, and rebellion. Husbands and wives are divorcing each other. Children are rebelling against their parents. And employers and employees are seeking for new ways to avoid strikes and keep the machinery of industry running productively. We have tried education, legislation, and every other approach, but nothing seems to work. He, he further writes this. He says, Paul's solution to the antagonisms in the home and society is regeneration. A new heart from God and a new submission in Christ to one another. God's great program is to gather together in one all things in Christ. And Paul indicated that this spiritual harmony, that it begins in the lives of Christians who are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are called to be set apart. Let me say that again. You are called to be set apart. The Word of God says this over and over again. In fact, that's what 
being holy means. Being holy doesn't mean to be pious. Being holy doesn't mean to be religious. Being holy means to be set apart for a special purpose. I quoted Ephesians 2 earlier. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Right? The word of God declares, for we, for you, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And, and when the word of God says this, when it says that we are a peculiar people, it doesn't mean weird. Well, it might apply, but, but that really wasn't the main point. It's, it's to be a people that are, that are set apart. We're set apart to bring forth or to show the praises of God. Right? Who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous, into his wonderful light. And, and God has a plan for mankind. And it's God's desire to reveal through his children his plan for mankind. We are to be that example of the way vertical relationships are supposed to work. And then horizontal relationships supposed to work. So Paul, in, in writing to the church at Ephesus, uh, Paul uh, echoes what Moses said in Exodus chapter 20. That we are to have right relationship. And, and, and here's, 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 here's uh, how he prefaces it. In, in, in Ephesians 5.18, he says this, that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And then in, in Ephesians 5.21, he says we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. So it all starts with this connection with, with the Holy Spirit. It all starts with the power and the presence of God being in us. And, and when that happens, when we're, when we're filled with the Spirit, it makes, us, it makes us pliable and it makes us capable of submitting to the needs and responding to the issues of one another. Then going out of Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that, you may, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So what, what I want to do is this, is I, I want to look as, as Exodus chapter 20 focuses on family, as Ephesians chapter 6 challenges us in the way that we connect to our children and the way that we respond to our parents, I, I believe that it would do well for us to take a few moments on a Sunday morning and look at what God says about this important relational context, how we deal when we start with vertical relation, our horizontal relationship, how we start with family. And, and, and here's what we see. We see this challenge that God gives and he, he, he responds to children and he responds to parents. First, the response to children. What's the challenge to children? The challenge to children is this. We are to obey our parents. We obey our parents. Now, it's interesting to me. I find it very interesting that the word of God speaks directly to children. Paul doesn't say, parents teach your children to obey you, although that is certainly Im implied, and, and, and the Word of God does tell us elsewhere in Scripture that we are supposed to teach our children, that we're supposed to raise our children in the way that they are, are to go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. But in this particular portion of Scripture, Paul speaks specifically to children, and he says, children, it's important that you grab this. And he says, children, obey your parents 
in the Lord, for this is right. Now, now that word obey, that word obey there, it comes from a, a compound a Greek word that means to hear and to be under. And so when, when he says, children, obey your parents, it, it says this, listen to your parents and fall under what they tell you. It's amazing to me how children can have selective hearing. It's it's remarkable to me. My children could never hear when they were being called to a chore, but they had no problem hearing when it was time for dinner or, or when Jody and I were, wanted to talk about something that we didn't want our children to hear. Especially my daughter, Lauren, she has the ears of a bat. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget when Jody and I, actually when Jody and I were talking about uh, the possibility of, of moving from Illinois to Florida when, when we sensed that God was calling us to come and be a part of the Calvary family. Lauren was on the second floor of our house somewhere and I'm telling she came out of nowhere. What are we moving to, just slow down. This was, this was best illustrated for me a few years ago. I was in McDonald's. And this little boy, he was standing and he was staring at the toys that they were showing, demonstrated for what was in the Happy Meals. And this, this mother was trying to get the little boy's attention to figure out what he wanted to eat. And she's, she's calling for him. She's, Billy, 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 Billy. Kid's just glued. Billy, 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 Billy. Kid's not moving. Billy, Billy. Finally she goes, Billy, do you want to shake Chocolate. We are not simply to hear what our parents are to say. We're to be listening. We're to be in tune with what our parents have to say. Let me, let me offer this to you. You might think, well, this doesn't apply to me. I've reached adulthood. There's, there's not an age limit on being a child. Let me say that again. There's not an age limit on being a child. And what I find is this, I find that I still learn from my parents today. And it is still vitally important that I listen and come under. That I listen and come under. That's what, that's what obeying is. And, 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 and here's, here's what I appreciate about what, what Paul says under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He says this is a spiritual law. But then he goes on to say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's not just a spiritual law, it's also a natural law. It's not just a spiritual principle, it's a, it's, it's a natural principle. Every culture in our society from ancient times until today teaches children to obey. It is a it is a universal principle. Not only is it a universal, universal principle, recognize this, that disobedience to parents is one of the chief signs of rebellion, anarchy, and societal decay. 
right? It tells us this. That will be one of the major issues in last days. 2 Timothy 3 says this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. So the major societal decay that will come in the last days, God points out that one of the significant issues in that is that people will be disobedient to their parents. So that issue of responding and doing what is right, it is imperative. But we're not just to obey our parents. We are also supposed to honor our parents. Okay, obey action, honor attitude. So it's not simply reluctantly going, okay, dad, you told me to do that, I'm gonna do it. Fine, I'll paint the fence, just leave me alone, old man. Can't wait till you kick the bucket and I'm ruling this family. Then things will be different, I tell you. No, it's, 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 not just, it's not just the action. It's the heart attitude behind it. And, and, and recognize, recognize this is a carryover from vertical relationship. People get caught up in the do's and don'ts of Christianity. In fact, they, they stumble over it. They go, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do that Christianity stuff because I, I, I don't know if I can get into that whole don't do this, don't do that. You know, don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I want that lifestyle. It, it seems to me like you Christians, you guys can't do anything and, 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 and you don't have any fun and it's the culture of no. I don't, I don't think I want to be a part of that. And that... That difficulty and, and connecting to the authority of the Heavenly Father, it, it plays out in our relationship with our earthly parents and in and, and a, a culture that pushes back against honoring our earthly parents is, is a direct satanic attempt to keep us from recognizing proper relationship with our Heavenly Father. These, these two, they go together. And, and just as God is worthy of our worship and adoration, our parents, not because of their, listen, not necessarily because of their activity, not necessarily because of, of their posture, but because of the position that they are in. We are to honor that position even when at times we can't trust the person. Let me say that again. It's important that we honor the position even when we can't trust the person. We see this in Scripture. We see David's response to Saul even when Saul is trying to kill David. David recognizes that he can't lay a hand on Saul. Why? Because Not because of the person that Saul is, but because of the position that God has placed Saul in. And God's Word talks about this issue of, of, of recognizing and reflecting authority. And listen very carefully to what I'm about to say to you. If you cannot 
If you cannot respect and honor earthly authority, you will struggle with recognizing and honoring heavenly authority. And it's important for some of us to grasp this because we have been disrespectful and dismissive of the earthly authority that God has placed over us, starting in the household and then it drifting out into society. And yet we wonder why we have this seeming disconnect from our Heavenly Father. Well, because you can't walk in in rebellious attitude in one area of your life and not have it permeate into every area of your life. We, we, have to, we have to recognize this, this issue of, this issue of honor. Okay? Now, why, why is honoring and, and respecting parents so important to God? Why was it so important with his covenant people Israel? Here's the reason why. Because the respect of parents is the bedrock of society. It is absolutely the bedrock of society. When a child grows up obeying, honoring, and respecting his parents, he will also learn to honor and respect other authorities such as teachers, employers, law, government. Conversely, when a, when a child is not taught to honor and obey his parents in the home, he will have great difficulty having respect for any authority outside the home. And, and a child that does not learn to respect his parents will not even have respect for himself. So many problems like drug and alcohol abuse, poor self-esteem, even, even the urge that some have to take their own lives and suicide, it, it consistently can be traced back to this, this issue of, of unhealthy relationship and an absence of healthy godly authority in their life starting in the authority in the home listen ultimately a child with no respect for the authority of his parents will have no respect for the greatest authority of all this is why this is why solomon the wisest man who ever lived said this do not hold withhold correction from a child Right? For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating going and beating your child with a rod today. But there is something to be said for, for helping one another to understand the value in this issue of honor. And so, so we have this responsibility as children we also have a responsibility as as parents and and God God has a plan for 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 parents as well and and here's what he says going into verse four he he tells us this he says parents he refers to fathers but fathers certainly it, it 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 really speaks to the role of parents. Do not provoke your children. And, and, and if you look, there's, there's different, different translations, um, and those different translations really give us different angles of the same principle. Do not frustrate your children. Do not provoke your children. Do not, the King James Version, I believe, puts it this way. Do not bring your children to wrath. 
uh, and, and we're, just, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to bring, bring our, our, our children to wrath. We're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to raise our children in such a way that they can get it. Don't let your children become discouraged. Right? So let, let me, I, I, I wrote this down this week. Let me, let me give this to you. Okay? That there's a significant difference between discipling a child, disciplining a child, and frustrating a child. Let me, in, let, let me let you in on a little secret. Well, it's not much of a secret, but let, let me tell you something about me. Uh, and I recognize that there's a lot of folks here today. I recognize there are people watching via live streaming and, and that this will air on Good Life 45. Um, you have to ter- determine the right way to raise your child. Uh, but I will tell you this, I, I spanked my children. Now, before you write letters and, 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 and turn me into the police, okay, let me, let me walk this through with you. I, I, I was, as a child, I still have I, have, I have significant scars on my body from the beatings that I took as a child. Um, and it's very easy for those that have been abused to become an abuser. And I was determined that I, that I was not going to do that. And I'm, 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 I'm thankful to God that that chain was broken in, in my generation, that my children uh, did not grow up in a home where they experienced abuse. I did not call my children names, still don't. I did not um, um, verbally abuse my children, I still don't. Uh, and in the rare times that I felt that it was necessary to provide physical discipline, this was the approach I took. And, and, and there, there are some, there, there are all kinds of different philosophies on this. You know, you need to have uh, something to, that you hit the child with to where the child doesn't, you know, connect it with you. I, I, I thought that's the craziest thing. Having been hit by someone um, with all kinds of different things, I determined this, that I wanted to feel what my children were feeling, right? So I would always talk to my child pray with them. If I spanked them, I spanked them with my hand to where I could feel it. And then I would talk with them. I would remind them that I love them and I, and, I would, and, and I would pray for them. I I seriously, I can count on one hand the number of times that I spanked my daughter. I used to say that I can count on one hand the number of times I spanked my son in a given day. And that, that's not really true. It, it really was... Uh, rare that even even Drew was spanked, but there there were those there were those moments that um, that I determined that it was necessary to follow what I uh, see as a as a biblical principle. And and here's what I wanted to do: I wanted to make sure that I was discipling and disciplining my child, not punishing them or frustrating them. Because here's what I've noticed: you know what? My heavenly father doesn't punish me. He does lovingly correct me. And I felt it important that I follow that same model in my own life. But here's how we frustrate our children. We frustrate our children by being unreasonable. Right? Sometimes we fail to see what our children are capable of and we'll load them down with all kinds of burdens they cannot bear. Sir, ma'am, just because you didn't accomplish that as a child, don't put your expectations of childhood upon your children, okay? 
And don't try to recapture your former glory. We appreciate the fact that you were a star running back in high school. Don't put that pressure on your son. Okay? Or those of you that are older, don't put that pressure on your grandchildren. They're not you and they don't have to be you. Let them be them. Second, we frustrate our children by fault finding. Now, I don't mean that we should never point out what's wrong, but, but we should always take care to point out what's right. We, we all respond much better to criticism for faults when we're encouraged for what we do well. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said this, spare the rod, spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give the child when they've done well. We also, we frustrate our children by inconsistency. I, I think this is one of the biggies. It's unfair to constantly change the rules without telling the child. And, and one day they get away with something that, that is wrong the next day. This is, by the way, this is why moms and dads need to work together. It's unfair to constantly change the rules without telling the child. Don't, don't do that. And, and I will tell you this. One of the things that Jody and I were very consistent on is this. Is we told our children, listen, when we give you a rule and you understand the consequences of the rule, you can count on that. In fact, when I had to discipline my ch child, I would often say this. I would often say, son, daughter, I want you to know that you can trust what I've told you. I don't want you to ever doubt that what I'm telling you is true. And you were told that if you did this, this would be the consequences. And because you being able to trust me is so very important, I can't go back on that word. And you knowing that I keep my word, I'm really surprised that you made the decision to face this consequence. You following me? My children regularly heard this. My son Drew would hear this. Son, I'm really, I'm really surprised that you've chosen not to play video games for a week. What do you mean I've chosen? Because you knew that this was the consequence for this action. Well, Dad, how about this one time, son, if I did that, you wouldn't be able to trust my word. Now, it would be easy for you as a parent to sit there and go, well, I think that's kind of harsh. Or, or, or as a child, to sit there and say, that's kind of harsh. But here's what I can tell you. My children knew that they could always count on what Dad said. And you might think you're being kind and showing grace to your children. Actually, what you're doing is you're raising them up in an environment of inconsistency. And children that grow up with inconsistent values in the home will walk with inconsistent values in adulthood. It's, it's, this is a powerful principle that I think it's very important that we understand. The, the fourth way we frustrate our children is by non-discipline. Now, some people think that if we just give in to uh, our, our children's demands, they will be happy instead of angry. That, number one, that proves culturally to be not true. Number two, it's biblically wrong. You need to look at the story of Eli. Eli was this priest who had these wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And Eli faced the judgment of God because he did not correct his sons. The children that God has given you, they are both a gift and a responsibility. And if you think that, I'm convinced of this, that it is, it is equally damaging to a child to offer no discipline as it is to over-discipline. And so there has to be a discipline in that light. There has to be. Mom, you're not called to be their buddy. 
Let me say that again. You're not called to be their buddy. And if you navigate this issue of discipline well, what will happen when your children go from childhood into adulthood as, and as that relationship shifts, you'll find a wonderful strength in the relationship. But if you're inconsistent and you offer no discipline, well, it almost always never goes well. Three more real quickly. Number five, we frustrate our children by overprotection. Okay? As a child grows, he must be trusted to make responsible decisions on his own. Ma'am, if your son is 28 years old and you're still cutting the crust off of his sandwiches, <laughs> and you don't understand why he's still living in the spare bedroom. Just an observation. Favoritism. And we can mess up our kids through favoritism. Isaac favored Esau, Rebekah favored Jacob, and the world is still suffering from the poor parenting decisions of that ancient couple. We frustrate our children by selfishness. We love our kids, but we, we must be careful to never cause them to feel that they are bothersome to us. We're not supposed to frustrate our children, but here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to nourish them, right? That's what Ephesians 4, 6 says, or 6, 4 says, rather. It tells us, it says, listen, don't, don't exasperate your children. Don't frustrate your children. Don't, don't bring your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the training of the admonition of the Lord. And that, that issue of, of, of bring them up, it, it, it literally means to feed them. It conveys the idea of gently or tenderly raising our children. Gordon McDonald tells the story of a, of a man in medieval times who came upon these individuals that were working on a facility. And he asked one of them, he said, uh, what are you doing? He goes, I'm laying bricks. The second man said, I'm building a wall. And the third man said, I am erecting a great cathedral. It was all an issue of perspective. What are you doing? I'm rebuking my son. What are you doing? I'm raising up a child. What are you doing? I'm impacting a generation. See those, those bricks are part of a bigger story. We have to recognize that. 
And those moments matter. These relationships are important. That's why I've, I've got to rightly connect to the family as a child in both action and attitude. Obey and honor. And when, 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 when placed in the position of authority, I have to be mindful of that. Gracious with it. And faithful to it. That's the way the family works. The family works when I honor that parental authority that God has placed over me. And I obey. It works when in that position of authority, I'm gracious so as not to frustrate, but I'm faithful in order to guide. And when we navigate the family relationship well, it, it does a wonderful work in us that influences the other horizontal relationships around us.